Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Let the mountain maker come and take his place. Let the ocean in our hearts be still and wait. For the coming of our King, for the atmosphere he brings, let his majesty
church. You good? It's good to be with you guys for a number of reasons. It finally feels like fall. That's good. Uh, can I get an amen for that? Yeah, except for all the sinus problems that we're going to have because of the change of the weather. Um, none of the local teams lost this weekend. That's a great thing. Um, and uh, we finally convinced and taught Pedro how to say Ruach which is the name of our current teaching series. Uh, the word ruach is a Hebrew word that literally translated uh, could be wind, breath, or spirit. It's the word used to describe the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the counterpart is pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. Uh, it means spirit. And those words combined are used over 700 times in scripture. And yet in a person's life and in the church's life, I think it's one of the words that is missing most or misused the most or just misunderstood the most. And in order for us to experience the life that God designed for us and that God desires for us, we need to not only understand the Holy Spirit, but we need to know the Holy Spirit at a personal level. And so that's what this series is all about. And so that's why we have the resource available uh, for you that, uh, that Abigail referenced ruachtvc.org or .com. You can go there and you can find a fasting guide, a prayer guide, a reading guide, as well as some worship music to help you in that journey. And it's cool to know that all of us, if we'll go there and use that as a resource, can be moving in the same path over the next couple of weeks as we seek to understand the Holy Spirit better and then also to know the Holy Spirit at a personal level. And we're gonna continue that conversation today. Before we talk more about what the Holy Spirit does, we wanna talk about how how the Holy Spirit is a person of God and how we can know God personally. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit of knowing, um, knowing the Holy Spirit personally, um, sometimes it can be hard for us to relate to the Holy Spirit when it's easier to relate to other um, aspects of God. So when we talk about the person of God as Father, that's kind of easier for us to relate to because all of us at some level um, have had experience with a father. Uh, we were all born, and so if you were born, that by definition means that you had parents. Um, you have a, a mother and a father. And even if your experience in life was um, with a bad, bad father, uh, when we read through scripture, what we know is that we have a good, good father. And, um, and so, so we can even put a frame of reference around our understanding of God if it's different than our understanding of a childhood uh, with our experience as a father uh, being not that of uh, one of good character and good compassion towards us. So it's easy to relate to God as father. It's easy to relate to God as son. Um, and so when we think about God as son, we're thinking about the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's easy to think about and relate to a historical figure, a person 
who walked the face of the earth 2,000 years ago that biblical writers wrote about, that non-biblical historians wrote about. It's easy to relate to a person who lived a life and then uh, according to historians and also uh, biblical authors, died on the cross and then came back from the dead. Uh, Maybe that's not easy to relate to, but the other parts of Jesus are. And then many of us probably grew up in church. I wouldn't say all of us, but many of us in this room probably grew up in church. And how many of you grew up in a church where there was a picture of a stained glass window of Jesus at the front of the church? If you grew up in church and you had a a picture of Jesus in stained glass, yeah, raise your hand. I saw a lot of hands up. Um, And how many of you had the Jesus that had like the long wavy, just perfect, like he just got out of a Pantene commercial, you know, hair, light brown with the blonde highlights and then the the bright green eyes. Anybody had that Jesus on the stained glass window? Yeah. Um, What's interesting about that is that even though Jesus is easy to relate to, that's probably not what Jesus looked like at all. In fact, a couple of years ago, um, popular mechanics, I know, not your most biblical, uh, accurate, you know, magazine out there, um, had a picture of what they think Jesus looked like from anthropological studies. And then that picture went kind of viral and all the other magazines picked it up. And this is actually what Jesus probably looked like, um, 2,000 years ago. Yeah. So not the Jesus that we grew up, maybe this, uh, but some variation of that when you go back and you kind of take a look at um, what people looked at from a historical perspective. That's what Jesus looked like. Well, whatever, you know, the Jesus looked like, whether it was the long flowy, you know, which wasn't, but if that's what you relate to or, or this picture, it's easy to relate to God, the son. It's easy to relate to Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit, and the person of the Holy Spirit may be a little bit harder to relate to because the Holy Spirit is invisible. And sometimes we um, relate invisibility to, um, to being impersonal, uh, hard to relate to in the way that we can a father or a son. Um, and if we do relate to the Holy Spirit from a kind of a visible standpoint, maybe it kind of goes back to some of our upbringings in church where maybe the Holy Spirit was referred to as the Holy Ghost. Anybody have that kind of in your background, the Holy Ghost? And, and that never really made sense to me. I mean, growing up in church, when they would talk about the Holy Ghost, I was like, okay, all right, that's a little weird. Uh, what I didn't know is that ghost was a translation from an old English term, spiritus. So spirit was translated as ghost and, and kind of an old English setting. Um, And when we think about ghosts, I mean, that's kind of easier to picture, especially in this time of our culture where we are approaching in just a couple of days, Halloween. And so um, it's easier to kind of picture the Holy Spirit as a ghost, but maybe not one that we want to picture God as because uh, those houses that have the decorations out, and I don't know if you decorate or if you live next to the person that decorates and they've got ghosts in the yard. It's an, an effort to kind of spook or scare. And so maybe some of us, when it comes to our understanding, of the Holy Spirit at a personal level, you know, we've kind of been spooked out by this understanding of God, or we've been scared by this understanding of God as Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and there's really only been one like friendly ghost who has ever existed. And that was Casper, you know, and so um, not Ruach, you know, not, not. So, so when, when we um, think about God as Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is a person of God who makes God personal, Um, how do we relate to that? So today I want to share with you two ways that we can relate to the Holy Spirit as a person of God 
thereby desiring to know the Holy Spirit at a deeper level in order for us to experience the life that God designed and desires us to experience. And so we're gonna discover those um, two ways through the pages of scripture. So if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I wanna invite you to go with me first to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Now, um, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, um, I wanna encourage you to, to pick one of the Bibles up. It's at the cafe counter. Uh, there are gift to you. Take that home and read it. If you don't have a Bible app, I wanna encourage you to, to maybe explore version. It's a great resource for you. There's tons of Bible plans. Um, when we read from the, the Bible, we're actually reading from uh, individual books uh, that basically make a volume of one book, one story. And these books were written by some pretty interesting people. And this one was written by uh, a person named John. Um, it's not uh, a book necessarily. Um, it's an account of Jesus's life. And so it's referred to as the gospel of John, uh, the good news of John. And it's about the life, the ministry, uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And what's really cool about this is that it's con uh, John is considered to be um, Jesus's best friend. And um, Jesus was a friend to all. He was a friend to sinners. He had a core group of about 12 guys that he hung out with most. Um, he had another group of three guys that he went uh, deeper into a relationship with. And then there was one disciple that was called the beloved disciple. And, um, and, that, and that John, uh, that beloved disciple is considered to be John, who is considered to be the author of this Bible. And what's really cool about that to me is that um, you and I, we've probably had a number of best friends growing up and throughout life, right? Um, but none of our best friends died and came back from the dead. Um, if we did have a best friend who died and came back from the dead, we'd probably write about their life. And so this is uh, Jesus's best friend, the beloved disciple writing about Jesus's life. And right towards the end of Jesus's uh, life before he dies on the cross, um, Jesus does some teaching about the Holy Spirit. And he starts off the conversation in, ver in chapter 16, and we're gonna start in verse seven. You can, of course, go back and read before that if you want to. But in verse seven, Jesus is talking to his disciples about where he's going. And this is what he says, verse, um, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, why would that be advantageous for Jesus to go away? Because we go, ah, oh, it'd be so great to have Jesus with us. Well, what Jesus was saying was he could go away so the Holy Spirit can come. But listen to how he, for the first time as he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming, refers to the Holy Spirit. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, everybody say helper. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, everybody say helper, helper. I will send him, the helper, to you. And when he, the helper, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The first time that Jesus really starts to unpack the ministry that the Holy Spirit will have to us at his departure is through this terminology that the Holy Spirit is helper. The first way that we can relate personally to the Holy Spirit is that of helper. It's to know that the Holy Spirit is personally available to help. Holy Spirit is a personal helper. Now, and 
in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about an exhaustive list of all of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. It's going to be an amazing week. You won't want to miss it. Today, we're going to talk in generality. But what I want to say before we talk about a kind of a general foundational way that the Holy Spirit helps us, I want to say this, that when you know a person is there to help you, it causes you to press into that relationship in a deeper way. I experienced this over the last two weeks. Uh, two Tuesdays ago, uh, Liz got in an automobile accident. Um, everybody's okay. Uh, that's the first question that everybody wants to ask. Uh, everybody was okay. There were eight people involved. Everybody was fine. Um, the second question that I asked was, was it your fault? Um, that's what I wanted to know. Um, I knew she was okay because I was talking to her uh, and uh, it was not her fault. So that was good. She was coming down 211 and uh, she got to a crossroads right back here past the church. And uh, it's a dangerous crossroads. There are accidents there all the time. Uh, this woman shouldn't have gone. She knew she shouldn't have gone. So she hesitated. And then Liz just like hit her right in the side of the car. Her car spun and hit another car. And so there were three cars involved in that. Um, the next question is, and that's yes, the car was totaled. Um, so um, I call our, our insurance agent who happens to be a guy who was in our small group, who happens to be a guy, obviously, that's in our church. Um, Y'all would recognize him. He's been on um, platform uh, leading worship on Sunday mornings. No, not Jared Strong. He's not going into car insurance agency. Um, a guy named Brandon Leonard. And, um, and I called him up. I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? He's like, I'm stuck in traffic on 211. I was like, well, um, that's what I'm calling you because, uh, yeah, I know the cause of that. Um, and so I was able to talk to him, but it was cool because I was able to reach out to him personally. And then over the next like 10 days, he was so helpful. Um, I, I called him a lot. I sent him texts a lot. We sent emails back and forth. And he was able to do things for me that other insurance agencies might not be able to provide because we knew each other personally. And when you um, have a personal relationship with a person that helps you, it causes you to press into that. And so over the last 10 days, I've, I've really just really, really appreciated Brandon Leonard. I've really appreciated that relationship. Another relationship that I've appreciated over the last 10 days uh, is a guy who owns Hayward Allen Toyota in Athens. If you're ever in the market for a Toyota, um, I wanna encourage you to uh, get connected with him. I can do that for you. Um, that's a way that I can personally help you and then you'll appreciate me. Anyway, so see how that works. Um, but I've really appreciated him. So when it, when it happened, I, I said, uh, hey, Steve, uh, called him personally, got him, hey, Steve. Uh, what do you have in the pre-owned inventory? And uh, he told me and I was like, can't afford it. Um, so thanks. Um, but then what he started to do was he started to say, hey, we'll be on the lookout. He's like, if you need anything, give us a call. So I would send him Carfax reports and I was like, hey, can you tell me your thoughts on this? I was like, hey, what, what do you think I can negotiate down on this? And so here's an owner of a car dealership who, by the way, knows all the tricks of the trade, you know, and he's given me this insight and this wisdom. And he's, he's been so great, you know, gracious to us throughout this process to help us um, in the process of finding a replacement minivan for Liz. And um, he's been great. And all it's done is helped me grow in appreciation for that. Why? Because he's a helper. And that's what a helper does. And I don't think it's coincidental that when Jesus is talking about going and sending the Holy Spirit, that the first way that Jesus describes Holy Spirit to us is helper. Because when we know that somebody is there for us and when we know that somebody can help us, it causes us to draw into that 
person and into that relationship. And it causes us to relate to them at a deeper level. And what's really cool about Jesus introducing Holy Spirit as helper is that the Holy Spirit helps us at the greatest personal level possible. And that is our depth and our longing to be with God. And so how does the Holy Spirit help us here? We'll talk exhaustively about that in the coming weeks. But Jesus talks about very, uh, three specific ways here that are they're kind of the, the most general work that the Holy Spirit does in our life. And that is to, to convict us of our sin, our sin of disbelief, and to convince us of Jesus's righteousness and that he's coming judge. Essentially what that means is that the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit works within all of us to affirm this truth that we know is written in scripture. And that is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that none of us are capable in our own righteousness to get back into a right relationship with God. However, there is one who was in a right relationship with God, lived perfectly. His name is Jesus. And he died as a substitute for our sin so that our sins could be transferred to him and his righteousness or his right relationship with God could be transferred to us by faith. This is knowing God personally. So the Holy Spirit helps us to know God personally in a way that we could not in any other way, not by religion, not by being good, not by obeying rules, only through a personal relationship with Jesus where we confess our sins, we confess our trust that he's the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life. Can we know God personally in a right relationship? That's how the Holy Spirit helps us first and foremost to know God at a personal level in a relationship that will last for all of eternity. And what's awesome about that is that the Bible says that when you and I, when we trust that Jesus is the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. There's no better way to relate to a person personally than when they live with you. Right? Because the people that you um, live with and that live with you, you relate to them at a level that you don't relate to anybody else with. And in any time a new person comes to live with you or you go to live with them, you relate to them at a different level. And so God like continually just kind of says, hey, I want you to understand me relationally. So he comes, God in the flesh in the name of Jesus He dies on the cross so that we can have this personal relationship with him that lasts forever. When we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, he deposits his very being inside our lives so that he can not only be with us, but be within us so that we could know God personally. And in order to live this life that you have been designed for and that God desires for you, you have to know God personally and the Holy Spirit helps with that. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit living within us is actually to be able to name that relationship in one of the most personal relationships possible. And that is the relationship between a child and a parent. Uh, If you still have your Bibles open, I want to invite you to flip over a few pages to the right. If you have your Bible app, you can go to Romans chapter eight. Um, You shouldn't have to go too far. In my Bible, it's only that many pages, okay? So um, just 
flip over to the right, Romans chapter eight. Um, I told you about John, um, who John was. Romans was uh, thought to be written by a guy named Paul. And we talk about Paul a lot here because he, he has written most of the New Testament of the Bible. And Paul's got a crazy cool story where Paul was, um, he was, he was opposed to Christians. He was opposed to the movement that Jesus started. And in fact, he was so opposed to it that he had people in prison. He had people put to death. But then um, Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that changed his life. Uh, when you encounter a, a person who died and then came back from the dead, it's going to change you. Uh, it changed him to the point where he wanted to share the, the good news of Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection with as many people possible. And in doing so, a number of churches were started um, through his proclamation of the gospel or through other people through um, the extension of his ministry to where a number of churches were started. And then he would write back to these churches. And this is one of those instances where he's writing to some, some folks who had come to faith in Jesus. And he's talking about how the Holy Spirit dwells within us and, and how the Holy Spirit gives confirmation to this like incredible relationship that we can have with God. And this is what he says in probably maybe the most powerful chapter of the entire New Testament, Romans chapter eight, beginning with verse 14, this is what he says. For all who are led by the spirit of God, those are those that have the spirit of God dwelling in them through a personal relationship with Jesus as Lord and savior, are sons of God. Implication there is also for you women that you're daughters of God. So all who are led by the spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have been received, uh, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the evidence of Jesus in, in, in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is our ability to cry out to God, Daddy, Abba, Father. It, it gives evidence to us that we understand God in a personal way not just a positional way where, where God is sitting over the throne of the universe and the God's the creator of the cosmos and where God is, is in charge of everything. But we understand God in a personal way. And this is exactly how Jesus understood his relationship with God. I mean, Jesus was constantly referring to God as, as Abba, as father. Abba is a Hebrew word that basically means dad. It's a more relational term than some title that's given to a, an earthly relationship. Abba, father, daddy. That's how Jesus understood his relationship with God. And that's how Jesus wanted us to understand his relationship with God and the relationship that we can have with God. We, we know that because of the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Um, back in those days, 2000 years ago, there would have been scripted religious prayers for people to pray. Uh, there were Jewish prayers called Amidah and, um, and these prayers people would pray, they were scripted. Um, and so certain times of the day, they would pray certain things. Um, if they went to a meal, they would pray that specific prayer over the meal. I mean, everything that they did, there was like a scripted prayer that they had. And most of those prayers started with bless, uh, be, um, the Lord 
Almighty, or the Lord our God, Adonai Elohinu. And so most prayers would start in that way. But the disciples of Jesus, these guys who were spending the most amount of time with Jesus, they understood um, his understanding of, of God was a little bit different than all these other religious leaders that had taught them the scripted prayers of their life. And so they actually come to Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because the way you pray is different than the way we've been taught to pray. We've been taught to pray specific prayers at specific times, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way but they recognize something different about Jesus and the way that he understood his relationship with God. So they say, would you teach us to pray? And you know this prayer because you probably played sports growing up where you thought you had to do something holy before the game. And so you prayed that Lord's prayer or, or maybe you were taught that in Sunday school or some experience, that Lord's prayer that starts in this way. Our Father, our Father, not Adonai Elohinu, not blessed be the Lord God Almighty, but our Father. The reason that Jesus was different than all other religious leaders, the reason that Jesus is still different than all other religious leaders, the reason that his disciples wanted to know how to pray like him was because Jesus understood God, not positionally as the Lord God Almighty, but personally as a father. Not positionally with all kinds of titles, God provider, God protector, God shield, God rest. I mean, not in titles and position, but in personal relationship as father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed, be thy name. Jesus even teaches these guys that when they're praying, the name of God is Father. Isn't that interesting? If you were to Google names of God, you'd get dozens, maybe hundreds of titles for names of God, and they're all positional names. And Jesus comes along 2,000 years ago, and he says, God's name is Father in order for us to experience the life that God designed for us and that he desires for us, we have to understand God at a, in a relational way. And Jesus wanted us to understand that. And so he teaches us to pray, God, our Father. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us to give us evidence and assurance that there's witness and there's testimony, there's evidence to our spirit with the Holy Spirit that allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. I can tell you that I've got four kids. I mean, I can show you the birth certificate. I can tell you the time and the place where those kids were born. But the evidence for them that they're my kids is not a piece of paper. It's not a piece of paper at all. It's not a geographic location where they were born. It's the fact that they can call out at any time, daddy. The Holy Spirit gives us evidence that we are children of God adopted sons and daughters of God by our ability to cry out, daddy. All my kids have a unique way of saying daddy. I've shared with you some of those over the years. Um, my oldest, Lainey, um, she's developed this new way of saying daddy. She says, da-da-da-da, and that's how she gets my attention, da-da-da-da. Um, and, uh, and, and that's how she has to break up my inability to multitask and to pay attention to what's going on around me, da-da-da-da. Um, my, my son, who's 12, my oldest son, he started um, using this like German Darth Vader kind of accent. Uh, and he says, Father, and that's what he says. Um, 
And sometimes he says it and he emphasizes the like R and the T and so it sounds like farter. And um, <laughs> that teaches it a little bit about what happens at our house maybe. Um, and uh, that's how he says my name. And so when he calls out to me in the house, he's like, father, you know. And then Carly, uh, my third child, she emphasizes the A sound and she just kind of like drags it out. It's like, daddy. And I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, I'm like, yes, not, you know, and like tearfully, right? So, um, and, then, and then Cade, he's just like, daddy. Like, that's it. Daddy, you know, as loud as he can. Each one of my kids has a unique voice in calling out to me. But what's really interesting is that when they address me as da-da-da-da and father and daddy or daddy, they're all expressing some want or need that they have in their life. And, and, and like, I really just kind of summarized like the four categories of my kids' wants and, and needs into like these four ways that they typically call out to me. And so, you know, they'll call out, daddy, can you help me with schoolwork? And here's what my kids know. They know that their daddy has more knowledge than they have. And if I don't have the knowledge, I've got Siri and they don't have Siri. Siri, yeah. <laughs> Daddy, can I borrow your computer? In about 16 months, one of my kids is gonna say, Daddy, can I borrow your keys? Yeah, because what they know is that I have resources that they don't have, even though they've got more expendable cash than I've got. I'm not bitter about that, I'm just saying. Another thing that they'll say is, is daddy, can we leave now? Because they know that I can get them to the place they need to be at where they can't get there on their own. And I'll get them there faster than Liz will. <laughs> but my favorite, my favorite is, hey, daddy, can you play with us? Daddy, can you play with me? Or daddy, hey, you want to come and watch me play Fortnite? It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Because they know that there's not a father's greater pleasure than to spend time with their children. There's not a father's greater pleasure than to be with his kid, even if it's watching Fortnite over and over and over again and a very poor attempt at playing it yourself. The Holy Spirit dwells within us to give evidence that we can, in a unique voice, cry out to God and in a very non-unique way with our wants and our needs to say, hey, Daddy, I, I, I need some knowledge that I don't have. Hey, Daddy, I need a resource that I don't have. Hey, Daddy, I, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know you can get there. And hey, Daddy, and this is the one he loves the most. Hey, will you just be with me? God has knowledge that you don't have. He has resources that you don't have. He has an understanding of a destination that you don't understand, and he knows how to get you there. But most of all, God has made it abundantly clear through the revelation of Jesus and through the relationship with the Holy Spirit that God desires to be with you. And when you'll be with God, you can be who you were designed to be and who God desires you to be. And you never have to worry about God not responding to your cry, Abba, Father. 
this is where you go. All of this is amazing. It's not coincidental. The timing of Jesus coming was perfect. 2,000 years ago, when the Romans had occupation of the majority of the known world, and where when a child was adopted by a parent, that adoption was irrevocable. And so all of the inheritance that belonged to a biological child then also belonged to an adopted child. A biological child could be written out of the will of the parent, but an adopted child couldn't. And so Paul understanding this and understanding that we have this great relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, giving evidence to our spirit that we can cry out, Abba, Father, also means that you're a co-heir and that being a co-heir with Christ means that it is irrevocable. The relationship that God desires with you and that God brings you into, it is irrevocable. And so maybe some of you, you showed up here today and maybe you're just trying church for another time and you feel like you've been distant to God and you wonder if God's been distant to you. Scripture says, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you, you can know that that relationship that God wants with you, it's irrevocable. And all you've got to do is call out daddy. And he's here. It's for all of us. And as a pastor, I can't say it enough. I know we like prescription pills for spirituality. It just comes down to this. If you want to be all that God has designed and desires you to be, you got to be with the Father. You got to be with the God who wants to be with you. Who am I that the highest King would welcome me? I was lost, but He brought me. Oh, His love for me. Oh, His love for me. Through the sunset. Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Through the sun sets free. Oh, he's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a
Declare it. 